Pray with me. Lord Christ, we thank You for being here with us, for leading us in the way. Lord, even now, guide our hearts into You that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. Our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Authors have been gripping their audiences with their opening lines from the beginning. We have Homer starting his epic, Sing, O Muse, of the Terrible Wrath of Achilles. We have Shakespeare in his tale of star-crossed lovers Open the play with, well, oh, yes. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. But forth from ancient grudge break to new mutiny. And civil blood makes civil hands unclean. Or perhaps even closer to our own Uh, Our own day, Herman Melville opens his great American epic, Moby Dick, with the simple but profound line, Call me Ishmael, summoning all of the biblical baggage that the name Ishmael carries. Authors want to tell us something about the story they're telling us in these opening lines. This morning, we're looking at the very opening lines of the Gospel of Mark. And according to him, this is the beginning of the Gospel of the Son of God. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we tend to pretend like these authors aren't doing the same thing that our more literary authors are doing. Right? We want, we want them to just recount historical facts because in some way that feels to us like it's more straightforward, more earnest, and therefore truer. But if you were to ask somebody to tell you how they met their spouse, you would not expect some robotic recollection of data Wives, you probably would expect that from your husbands, but you ought not to expect that because it's a love story, right? The details matter, but the end matters more. There is a theme. The events have to add up to something. And so as we proceed this morning in looking at what might Mark have been doing opening his gospel in this way? What are the themes that he wants to show us about how we get to the Son of God? I want to take us <clears throat> through three themes that I, that I see coming out of the text here that 
will hopefully show us something true that was there for Mark's original audience, but has reverberated through history and the work of God to us today. And these three themes are a messenger, a wilderness, a way. A messenger, a wilderness, a way. We start with the messenger. Now, it's worth mentioning at this point that when Mark says, the prophet Isaiah, or as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, the very next words are actually not from Isaiah at all. They're actually a quote from Exodus, and which is then again used in Malachi. So this messenger that he says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare my way for you, while in some way that does, of course, refer to John, we have to look back to the original context. What is the image that Mark is trying to summon by quoting this line that's been quoted already? So let's go back to Exodus 23, where we find this line. The people of God have just received the law. They're there under Moses' care, and they are out in the wilderness. And God is promising through the mouth of Moses that he is going to send his messenger, or in this case, angel, before them to clear out the land of Canaan as they advance. Many of you probably know that the word for messenger in Hebrew and the word for angel are the same. An angel is nothing but a messenger of the Lord, right? And in fact, their names tend to be declarations about God's providence. Uh, Michael, objectively the best angel uh, by all standards, <laughs> the name means who is like the Lord. It's a proclamation of praise. And so God is telling the people of Israel, this is my message for you. Remember who I am. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Remember what I did in Egypt. Remember how I have delivered you thus far. I am the faithful one. I will continue to be faithful. That is the message that went before Israel. But like a two-edged sword, it was also a message. There was also a message for the nations in the way. And that was step aside or be trampled. The Lord of God is clearing a path for his people. So there's Moses, but what about Malachi? It's a little bit different context for Malachi. When the Lord says through Malachi, I'm sending a messenger, the enemy of the people of God are the priests of the people of God. We come, this is basically the last word we get in our Old Testament. Uh, the Hebrew Bible has arranged it slightly differently, but in our Old Testament, this is the last voice we hear. Malachi is one of the final prophets before there's 400 years of silence till John. 
And the problem is that the priests have led the people astray, even though we've made it from exile back to worshiping in the temple, the repentance has been a shallow repentance and corruption is being a fester at the heart of the worshiping people of God again. So the message going that the Lord is sending through Malachi for the people of God then is turn, repent. I'm going to have to cleanse my temple. I'm going to have to cleanse the heart of the authorities of this people. But you all still have time. Turn, love righteousness. Treat the widow and the sojourner with fairness. Remember the law of Moses because one is coming like Elijah who will bring fire down from heaven. I believe that Mark saw both of these messages in John's message. I believe he saw God orchestrating both the call to repentance and the call of rescue in John's ministry. But before we get there, we have to talk about a wilderness. Isaiah says, and now we finally got to Isaiah, a voice is crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for Yahweh. But these words mean nothing apart from the context. We, we hear that and we might think Isaiah is simply predicting that John would be a beekeeping, nature-loving weirdo that didn't like cities, right? But the point is not actually that John was just a guy outside. Wilderness is a loaded term in the Old Testament because God worked much in the wilderness. Remember back to Moses, The wilderness is where God prepared his people to be his people. The wilderness is where he delivered them. It was a place where God made promises to his people, but that didn't make them remember it all too fondly because the wilderness was a place where the promises were not yet fulfilled. It's a place of waiting. It's a place of vulnerability, of insecurity. The wilderness was always for the people of God somewhere outside of his promises, still awaiting the fulfillment of the faithful one, a place where it required faith, which none of us have ever been terribly good at. And so as a result, the later prophets like Isaiah would talk about the wilderness or we talk about the exile as a period of being in the wilderness. David would talk about being in the wilderness when he felt far from God. And so, when we get to Isaiah chapter 40, 
wilderness takes on a whole new meaning. You see, because Isaiah chapter 39 is the absolute lowest low of Isaiah. I know we're skipping way ahead. It's total spoilers for the Bible study. But in Isaiah 39, Isaiah has to go and tell Hezekiah, the king who was supposed to be a righteous king, easily top three after David. Hezekiah, you've failed again, and the Lord will certainly take this people into exile. And you and me hear that, and we're like, oh, exile, it's not a big deal. The Jews leave, they come back. The Jews leave, they come back. What this meant for Isaiah was certainly all of your friends and family are being sold into slavery. Many women and children and men and everybody will starve to death before that happens, and you will likely never see your loved ones again. That's exile. It's not just a theological term. It's a reality that was the greatest horror that you could imagine. Isaiah has to deliver this message to the king that he hoped would redeem Israel, and then he has to live out into the exile. He has to walk through this wilderness. But it is from this place of wilderness that God speaks a word to him in chapter 40. And it begins, as we read today, comfort, comfort my people. The time of punishment is done, and I am sending again a herald who will come to announce that the king is coming behind me. The rest of Isaiah is actually characterized by this hope that a king is coming behind this herald. But Isaiah didn't get to see that. The people of God were able to return to Jerusalem, but they were always under an oppressor from that point forward. And so now at last it becomes clear how Mark saw these themes coming together in John's ministry. Not only did John go literally into the wilderness to prepare the way for God to come, but Mark saw that the people were actually just as much in the wilderness in the city of Jerusalem, under Roman rule, under corrupt worship leaders. If wilderness means a vulnerable place awaiting the comforting word of Yahweh's return, it certainly would have applied to everyone there before Jesus in John's day. By quoting these scripture references all here at once, Mark is showing that John was more than a man carrying a message. He was the herald sent with the king's authority to pave the way for his coming. And so, Mark wants us to be asking, what is this way? What is his work of preparation? He wants us to be asking, how was the way prepared? How might I, as a reader, make a way for this king? A very Advent question. 
At first glance, it seems pretty straightforward. Confession, repentance, and baptism. Confess your sins, turn away from them, and be clean. But I think there's actually more that we're supposed to see here. I think John knew better than to trust in such fickle hopes that had let down the people of God year after year, decade after decade, century after century, as those methods have let us down as well. I think it's really significant and we, we need to pick up on that John actually says, there's one coming after me, and this baptism that I give you with water is, a, is, a, is one thing, and it's a good thing. But it's nothing if he doesn't come with the Holy Spirit fire afterwards. It is nothing if he does not come with the Holy Spirit, with God's Spirit to wash us. You could say, in a way, that if John is the voice crying, prepare a way in the wilderness, by invoking our need for the Holy Spirit, he is saying, you cannot prepare a way. You are left here in the wilderness, and we can repent of our sins, and we can be cleansed and forgiven, but we can't be free. I think Mark and John both knew that no amount of confessing, repenting, or cleansing would ever be enough. And from this place of helplessness and dependence, John got to look on Jesus, the Son of God, and say in the River Jordan, Lord, prepare a way. Prepare a way for your own coming. You, our King, make way for your arrival and give us yourself. We come as beggars, Lord. Prepare the way. I think this is the beauty that Mark wants to capture us with in his introduction. He wants to set the stage for the gospel by showing that the climax of the ministry of the prophets is actually handing over all responsibility for righteousness to the only one who can bring righteousness. Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. The great messenger announcing the coming king announces our utter insufficiency. He prepares the way for the king by surrendering the task. I beg you to heed his warning in this Advent season. Whether you know it or not, you are in a wilderness. Your heart is far from God. You do not love him as you ought, 
nor do you love your neighbor or yourself as you should. There is no way for you to fix this. None of us can. But one is coming. One is coming who will not simply pardon our sins, but free us from them. Join us in John and Mark's prayer, calling on Jesus, prepare a way in us, Lord, that we may rejoice to prepare a way with you. A messenger, a wilderness, a way. A crier's voice, a herald of the king for warning of repentance on that day, an angel captain promise capturing. Through time, God sends another to his flock. He beckons us come out to Riverside to look into panic, pain, take stock, confront our wild sins in which we hide. Repent and plunge your body and your soul into the water. Cleanse your wayward heart. But trust not that this flood can make you whole till he comes with fire and does his part. Hark, shepherd king returns us to his fold. The lamb of God for sinners comes. Behold. Amen.